Good morning, youth. I'm glad you can join us for our study in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 today. We are going to be talking about the tongue and how our mouths can get us into trouble, which I'm sure you can relate to. And even in this time of being quarantined in our homes for about a month, I'm sure your mouth has gotten you in trouble uh, a few times here and there. Uh, But last time we met, we went over the second half of James chapter 2, and we talked about having a working faith. And this is going to translate into James chapter 3, where a working faith is going to be put into practice by controlling what we say. Now, the tongue or the mouth is very, very powerful. And I know that you have probably experienced that in your own life. And Jesus through the Word of God, shows us and reveals to us how powerful it is and where uh, the things of our mouth and the things that we say come from. Because it's not just things just get blurted out out of nowhere. It comes from a source. And that source, as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 23, verse 34, he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we know just from what Jesus says right there in that one verse that what we say comes from the heart. And according to Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So we know that there is death and power just in what we say. The things that we say are very, very powerful and can be used for good, just as Proverbs says is life, or it can be used for bad, as Proverbs says is death. So death and life are in the power of the tongue. You guys have heard that old adage that sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt hurt me. Well, we know that's not true because words are powerful and they hurt. And sometimes people can hurt us without even knowing. And sometimes we can hurt people without even knowing just by the words that we say. Our words are powerful. And James is going to show us here in this chapter, the beginning of chapter 3. In James 3, 6, which we won't get to today, we'll get to next time. Uh, it says, the, Bi- the Bible tells us that the tongue is a fire in a world of iniquity. And then in verse 8, James calls the tongue an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. Man, that, that's James puts it so graphic and vividly that I would rather just want to stop talking altogether. Uh, so I don't get into trouble. But as James is going to show us, and as we're going to study throughout this, that the goal for us is not just to keep silent. The goal is not for us to open our mouths anymore, because that's not how you, you know, tame a, a horse or you know, stop using a, a, a boat, as we're going to see later on here at the end of the verses of 4 and 5, or 3 and 4, that you don't just put a horse in a stable and you put a boat you know, on the dock, like you have to continue to use it. And so we're going to have to continue using our tongues and our mouths. And so the proper way of, of going about this is not just to keep silent, but to control it, right? To, to, da- to put, to, uh, to kill it in a sense. And that happens really with the source, which we're going to talk about too. So it's not so much controlling the tongue as it is controlling your heart and what goes into your heart. Because remember, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in the heart, the mouth says. So why is the tongue so powerful? And we've kind of already touched on it. It's because it is connected to the heart. 
And the tongue is not the filter. I want to I want to point that out. The tongue is not the filter. Our heart is. The tongue speaks what the heart wants to say. And to change the tongue, you have to change the heart. Now, how do we do that? How do we change the heart? How do you change your heart? Well, I mean, hopefully you've been uh, listening long enough and following along enough with us as we study chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book, and you've come to realize that you cannot change your own heart. Only Jesus can change your heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and I will keep my judgments and do them. And in Jeremiah 24, 7, it says, Then I will give them a a heart to know me, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So we see and we know, and Jeremiah even tells us that our heart is wicked and, and who can know it? We can't even know our own hearts. And so we need a heart change. And that doesn't just come from us wishing and wanting. It comes through the word of God and Jesus himself. He tells us that when we are born again, we are new creations. And as we become new creations, we get new hearts. We get new desires. And the desire is to become more like Jesus. And that happens by us imitating him and following him and obeying his commands, which are in the word of God. And so once your heart is changed by Jesus, your goal is to constantly be conscious of what is going into your heart because what goes into your heart is what comes out. So what are you being fed? What are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you following? What do you believe? Is it the word of God or is it something else? Matthew 20 or Matthew 12 verse 35 says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. We need to fully realize the damage and the effect our words can have. Is there good treasure in your heart? <laughs> or is there evil treasure in your heart? And that will show you whether you are a good man or an evil man. Now we all know we're, a, we're bad people, right? That's, that's obvious, but it's through Jesus that we can become good. I'm not good on my own. I'm only good because Jesus is good. So what are some ways we can sin with the tongue? And now like we could, there could be countless ways that we can sin, but let me just name a few. Uh, one is that we can lie. We can have the lying tongue or the flattering tongue, the proud tongue, the overused tongue, the swift tongue, the backbiting tongue. What about the gossiping or the slandering tongue? the cursing tongue, the angry tongue, and the abusing tongue. There's so many different ways for us to use the tongue for evil. But there's also so many ways for us to use it for good. Solomon writes in his wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, he says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Now, there is times where we're going to have to not open our mouths, but we can't go our whole entire lives with with keeping our mouths shut. So Solomon in his wisdom reminds us there's going to be times where you should just keep your mouth shut. Remember my mom always telling me when I was younger, if I don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. 
And that's a good reminder for you as a teenager because I remember in my teenage years that I would just basically, without a filter, say whatever I wanted to say, that I would talk a certain type of way, that I would, you know, talk back to my parents or, you know, treat my siblings a type of way by the way that I speak. And we have to be mindful and conscious of it. We cannot be ignorant. And so if I don't have anything good to say, I probably shouldn't say it at all. And that goes for me beyond my teenage years and now into my 30s. It says in Proverbs 17, 27, as Solomon continues with his wisdom, he says, He who has knowledge spares his words. And Ecclesiastes 5, 3 says, A fool's voice is known by his many words. The more that we speak, the more we are susceptible to falling, to stumbling. Alan Redpath, and I'll, I'm going to end my intro with this. Alan Redpath was a, was a British evangelist. He was a pastor. He was an author. And he suggested that our thoughts about others should pass through uh, this acronym of THINK, T-H-I-N-K, as a filter. So the T stood for, is it true? The H stood for, is it helpful? The I stood for, is it inspiring? The N stood for, is it necessary? And the K stood for, is it kind? So before you speak, think, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Think about that. So James says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now this isn't just, you know, becoming a teacher within the public school system. This is a teacher and a teacher of the word of God, specifically of the word of God. And James is just being blunt and honest here that many of you should not become teachers. Now, why is that, James? Well, he says in the second half of the verse, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And James puts himself into that position because he himself is a Bible teacher. He knows that he himself will receive a stricter judgment because he is a teacher of of the word of God and he is he is almost encouraging us that not many of you should become teachers. Now the Bible also does encourage us that there needs to be teachers of the word of God. Right? Like that is one of the spiritual gifts to teach. Right? But not everyone is called to teach. And yet there are many who feel like they have the calling to teach and really what it is it's just a desire to put oneself on a pedestal, to receive some type of recognition, to have some type of power, rather than going about it with modesty and humility and a reverent fear towards God and listening to a true calling of Him in your life. The Word of God, whether you're a teacher or not, but specifically in context of what James is talking about here with a teacher, is that we should be that the word of God should be handled with the utmost respect and fear. We should not ignorantly teach it and throw out opinion based on thoughts. And every time that I study and prepare for a teaching, I get challenged with that. I get challenged with, Jeffrey, don't put your own opinions, don't put your own you know, preconceived perceptions of what you think the Bible is saying. Don't go about an agenda. Don't go about what you think people need to hear go about what God is saying in his word and let that lead that is what takes lead 
And we need to know that there is power and that there is life in the word of God. And because of that, there is this great responsibility that comes with that. We don't take this lightly. You should not take this lightly. If you feel like you have this desire or calling to you know, lead a Bible study within you know, your school or your friends or whatever it may be, even if it's just giving a devotion at church or somewhere else, we should not take this lightly. There is a spider, what is, I think it's in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, right? The, the Bible, the word of God has such great power that we should just not use it lightly, that there should be a reverence and a respect for it. And even more so, there's two quick reasons, which then there could be many more, why many should not become teachers of the word of God. One of those being, there will always be people who seek to be teachers in order to promote their own interests. And sadly, we see this uh, throughout America. It's, it's pretty prominent. In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, Paul warns the elders of the church at Ephesus there that even some of them will become false teachers in order to gain a following. And remember, as a pastor or teacher, that the shepherd or the following of people, they are not our sheep. They are not your sheep. They are God's sheep. We are just a hireling. We are just, I guess, an example of who God is in in, in the fleshly form. And not that we are God. Okay, that's, that's not exactly what I'm trying to say. I guess we're just the example of a shepherd, and yet we ourselves are still sheep, right? The true and one shepherd is Christ himself. In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, as I was mentioning, Paul says, Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And what's crazy about this is that there's many Bible teachers who literally teach the Bible and use the Bible but they use it out of context. They use it, you know, to gain their their own uh, understanding of it, uh, or putting their own understanding of it uh, in the place of what the Bible is literally saying. They're interpreting it wrong, and what they're doing is uh, they are deceiving many because they are sheep and or they are wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, so sometimes it's it's hard to spot somebody who will rise up and speak perverse things because they are using the Bible to do so. And so often we think, well, that can't be wrong because they just opened up the Bible and they're reading it. It has to be right. Well, that's the scary thing. Remember that they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look good. They look the part. They sound the part. But we have to know the word of God to separate. The second, the second uh, reason why many of us should not become teachers of the word of God And Jesus here exposes one of those reasons, and he exposes the scribes and Pharisees. In Matthew, in chapter 23, verses 6 through 7, he says, They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, or teacher, teacher. He knew the scribes and Pharisees were eager to be teachers because this was a place of status, and they were status seekers. They wanted recognition. They wanted power. They wanted to be in position. And is if that is your heart, really for anything, you need to check it. You need to align it with the word of God and be humbled of from the word of God. Now James tells us at the end of verse 1 that you sh- there shouldn't become many teachers 
knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So the reason behind it is because there is a stricter judgment. Now, why would James say that the judgment of teachers is more severe? Why would it be a more severe judgment? Well, there's there's two reasons that I have here. First is that those who are teachers should have a greater knowledge and understanding of the truth and the truth being the word of God. And therefore, they become more accountable. Right? You should know more of the Word of God because you are teaching the Word of God. You are studying the Word of God. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, in the first part or the second half of it, it says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Now, there has been much given and with the responsibility of handling the word of God. Remember, this isn't something that is taken lightly. This is not, you know, not to diminish this, but this is not like teaching, you know, English class or math class. Although that's important, there is no power and there is no life and it was not God inspired. We have to understand the importance and the power that the word of God does have. So we don't take it lightly. Secondly, we will all be judged according to our words. And so teachers whose work involves many words and specifically with the word of God will be held more accountable. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37 says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Now as, as a teacher of the word of God, you have more opportunity to slip up and to fail because you are speaking more of the word of God. And so again, every time that you speak, every time that somebody comes up onto the podium or in, you know, has to share the word of God, it's not something that's taken lightly. It should not be something that is taken lightly. There is always this, this, uh, nervousness because of the weight of it because of the power of it because of what it can do to those who are listening to the word of god because by listening to the word of god is how we all were saved in the first place so see even right there we know and understand of the power of god in his word and in verse 2 james goes on to say for we all stumble in many things well that's reassuring that james puts himself in that position that he is a teacher of the word of God. Not, not many should become so because there is a stricter judgment. But then he also encourages us and, and, you know, just lets us know that we all stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. There is a greater accountability of teachers. The greater accountability of teachers is especially sobering in the light of our common weaknesses. Right? So again, there is a fear and a reverence and respect for the word of God, not, not just because of how powerful and how great it is, but because of also how weak and, and you know, uh, just a horrible person I am, right? Like, I know my own heart. I know, we know that we as people are not good people. So, you know, God uses the foolish things, you know, to shame the wise and he uses the weak you know, to, to overcome the strong, you know? So it's like God uses somebody like me or somebody like you to handle his word. And you're thinking, well, God, why me? I'm nothing special. Like I am not worthy, right? Like I am not worthy. John put it, you know, 
I'm not worthy to unloosen the straps of, uh, you know, God's, Jesus' sandals, right? Or to, to even hold them. And we have to have that same point of view because of two reasons. Because of how great God is and because of how not great we are, right? So we all stumble in many things. We stumble. And the ancient Greek word here used uh, for stumble doesn't imply like, you know, a fatal fall where you're, you know, you're walking on the edge of the cliff and you happen to slip and fall off the cliff and boom, you're dead. It has to do something with just a tripping up of sorts and hindering our progress and walk with the Lord. We will occasionally stumble and, you know, stub our toe. James included himself among those who stumble. He says, for we all stumble. He has no false perception that he is perfect himself. And there's the key, and one of the keys for a teacher is to understand that we ourselves are not perfect. That we ourselves are not holier because we have the position of a teacher of the word of God. So he doesn't have this false perception of himself. You and I should not have false perceptions of ourselves. We need to understand and know that we are sinners and we are only saved by God's grace and that there are times where we stumble. We are not perfect. If we were perfect, James says, that we would be able to bridle, uh, we would not stumble in word if we were perfect and that we would be able to bridle the whole body. How do you know if you're perfect? Well, if you... (laughs) If you don't stumble in your word, well, we all stumble in our words, right? And not in the sense of like I get tongue, tongue-tied because that happens to me all the time. That has nothing to do with me being perfect or not. It has to do with the, the nature of what comes out of my mouth. So again, James says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. By, by this, James is providing us a measure of spiritual maturity for ourselves and for teachers and to all Christians. To not stumble in word shows true spiritual maturity. And this is specifically relevant here in the context of teachers. Teachers. In verse 3, James says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Wow, James shows us the power of the tongue relative to the size of it. It is something that is small, but it is powerful. And James uses two commonplace and very vivid illustrations here as he gives us an example of what the tongue does and the power of it. He says, look, it's, it's like a bit that we put in horse's mouth. And a bit is a piece of metal or synthetic material that fits in the horse's mouth. And it aids in the communication between the horse and its rider. So I'm basically, I'm able to tell it where I want it to go without really having to speak to it. It's part of the bridle and allows the rider to connect with the horse via the reins. It cues a horse by placing pressure in and around the horse's mouth. And the pressure is used to control the horse's speed and the direction of movement. So by something that's just so small, placed in the horse's mouth, you're able to control this powerful and majestic animal that God created. You're able to do it by something so small. Placing a little pressure here, placing a little pressure there. You're able to speed it up, slow it down, go left, go right. Now obviously, don't just try this your first time. You're going to need some training and all that. But we see the example, and James saw the example as horses were relevant 
in this time, you know, obviously they didn't have cars and horses were a great way of transporting. And so he has this familiar picture that he gives for everyone in that time. For us, we're not, you know, super familiar with it because a lot of us have not uh, ridden a horse or even seen a horse up close. But he also gives us the example of the rudder of a boat. You know, something so small, this steering apparatus that is on the boat that just controls a boat to go left or right. Not just, you know, a little, you know, uh, small boat, you know, just a little dinghy, but like this massive boat. We see that they even had pretty decently sized boats in Acts. We see when Paul was being transported to Rome that there was 276 people on that boat. So that couldn't just be like, you know, a tiny little canoe. It was something that was pretty big. And they were able to control it to go left and right just by simply turning a small rudder. And it was fastened usually outside the hole or usually at the stern. And when the rudder is turned so that one side is more exposed to the force of water flowing past it than the other side, the stern will be thrust away from the side that the rudder is on and the boat will swerve from its original course. And so just by something so little, you're able to control control something so big. And so it is with the tongue. James says, and we'll close here in the first half of chapter, verse five of chapter three, he says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Your tongue is small. You may have like a big tongue. I don't know. But in relative and proportion to you and what it can control, it is small. And so James gives us that picture with the horse and the boat. It is something small, but it is something powerful. And that, that powerful tongue can be used something for good or for bad. It's crazy to know. But remember, it's all being controlled by the heart. So what's in your heart comes out through the mouth. And next week when we meet, we're going to finish the, the thought that James has here with the heart and with the tongue. And we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit deeper and understand it a little bit more. A man once said, a fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. How many times have you put your own foot in your mouth? I said that the other day as an expression, and my son, who is six, thought that was so funny. He kept bringing it up over and over again. He's like, Dad, you remember that time you said you put your foot in your mouth, and he literally thought I meant that I put my foot in my mouth? I'm like, no, son, it's just an expression where, you know, sometimes I say something that I shouldn't say, right? When there's a time for me to just keep my mouth shut. But remember, the goal is not just to keep your mouth shut for your entire life, although there is times to do that. You don't solve the problem of an unruly horse by keeping it in the barn or the problem of a hard-to-steer ship by keeping it tied to the dock, right? Then it's useless. In the same way, even a vow of silence is not the ultimate answer to the misuse of your tongue. And next week, we'll expound on that a little bit more. So I hope you guys were encouraged. I hope you guys were convicted because I know I was convicted. I know a lot of us are going to be convicted by this that we need to learn to tame our tongue and walk in the spirit and, and say good things that come from the good treasure of our hearts and not evil things.